0: Hey, guys, we're live. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Soaps. It's been a long time. Maria, how's it going?
1: It's going good.
0: Yeah, good to see you.
1: Long afternoon, dark, cloudy. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, uh, Guys, we have a special episode today. Today we're going to do a little bit different. We're not going to be talking necessarily about a specific diagnosis or musculoskeletal impairment. We're going neuro today. And today, I am thrilled to death to present Maria, I'm not gonna say your last name, because we're gonna do a little interview. It's gonna be very conversational, but we're gonna talk about your specialty, which is those living with Parkinson's.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for being <laughs> here. You're here all the time.
1: That's right, as well, we... your other half to this show, it's good to be interviewed this time, rather than a good banter yeah. of conversation uh, for ortho.
0: Well, we were thinking about it and, uh, when I say we, uh, my sig- my significant other, her and I, we were talking about it, and uh, she had said to me, "Michael, you know what? We should do an interview format with Maria because she's a specialist. So let's get this going. So let's let's without further ado, let's talk about it. You've been treating those living with Parkinson's disease for quite some time. Tell us about it. What's up?"
1: So, for a few years, I uh, was drawn to working with Parkinson's patients um, for two reasons. One, it was a quick observation by our speech therapist who started here and was performing what's called the LOUD program with her patients that have Parkinson's. Mm. Um, And, you know, I did approach her and I asked if there would be any interest of starting something for the outpatient for PT. Uh, And she said that there is a large, um, you know, group of patients with Parkinson's that would possibly benefit. And from the location of where our clinic's at, I thought, you know, this would be a good idea. Additionally, on a personal level, it's something that I've watched family um, go through. My grandpa specifically um, suffered from Parkinson's and gradually progressed and and passed away. And, you know, so working with the clientele now with Parkinson's, it feels like I work with a little piece of them every time I work with Mm -hmm. um, all my patients, uh, which I just love.
0: I I had no idea, Maria. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So um, this is personal at some level.
1: It is. Yeah, I can say that I really appreciate working with all of them um, individually uh, because, like I said, it just uh, makes me think of him and Mm -hmm. makes me happy, so... Thank you for sharing
0: that, Truly, That's, no, because that touches everyone's heart, I think, because you're in it for the right reason Mm -hmm. to make a difference in their lives.
1: Definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so I've worked with patients for quite a while. I became certified in the LSVT program, which I can go into a little bit later. Uh, You know and describe what those techniques are and how it impacts the Parkinson's population.
0: No, I think that would be great Uh, I don't know much about it. Of course. I've heard about it I don't know what it stands for at least I think I do
1: Mm -hmm. I know what
0: LSVT stands for but loud I don't but um well, I wanted to ask you when did this all begin? How many years ago?
1: Uh, So my work with Parkinson's started uh, right before COVID uh, Mm -hmm. really began Mm -hmm. uh, only because we dropped in our census and outpatient and, um, you know, did not get to work with many of the patients that I wanted to. And then since that time, you know opening back up, coming back to outpatient clinic from the hospital, you know, we were able to support many of the Parkinson's patients that were returning back to the clinic in need of assistance for for care or, or a maintenance program, too.
0: So a little bit before COVID, you say? That's right. So for those of us that don't know, what is Parkinson's disease?
1: Well, uh, Parkinson's um, disease, it affects the central nervous system, so that's including the brain and the spinal cord. Uh, It's going to affect both both the motor and the non-motor component. Uh, It really thrives off of a chemical called dopamine. Mm -hmm. Dopamine is uh, made in the brain and it's really the messenger that's responsible for all of our smooth actions. Um, and then like purposeful action so you know you reaching for your pen like you just did Mm -hmm. it allows for us to have like that smooth transition of reaching it you know unconsciously Mm -hmm. we're not making any type of effort to say okay lift your shoulder straighten your elbow reach for the pen and so forth Um, and unfortunately the dopamine receptor changes or it becomes altered where it doesn't conduct the strongest of signals to apply for that smooth progression.
0: So is it down-regulated then, the receptors that receive the dopamine? That's right. Mm.
1: I mean, that's a big segue. That probably could take a lot of um, conversation up too, but-
0: mm-hmm. Oh, Maria, know. Maria, real quick. Uh, just to kind of get us back on track real quick, because you were talking about the stages. I mm-hmm. think you said there was a pivotal point from two to three. Mm-hmm. Are there more stages after three?
1: Right, yeah, so there's four and then there's five. Okay. So with four, that's where the patient or the client's gonna need more assistance for standing, for activities. They may not be able to be left alone. They may need more support in and around the house mm-hmm. uh, because their level of independence has changed. Uh, and this can also be that four to five stage. can uh, Patients can present with some confusion and some forms of dementia. And then with five, that's really the stiffness has severely advanced. They need full-time assistance. Um, you know, on the other hand, what else I do, I also perform wheelchair assessments. And I've seen the stage five where patients need... Um, functional mobility motorized mm. to get them or powered to get them around the house or to appointments to help him um, just kind of manage day to day with um, the, as much endurance as they can tolerate.
0: So, speaking about how you intervene with stage five, what other interventions would you introduce regardless of the stage? Let's say we were starting at stage one, what interventions would you apply? and then how would you progress that, regardless of, um, I guess, the stage? How do you how do you intervene?
1: Well, you know, sometimes patients don't come to me and say, I'm at a stage two, what are you gonna do? Yeah, they're not gonna be I saying don't, that. I don't really even talk about stages. I base my assessment based off of my observation and the functional mm-hmm. um, scores that I perform to make sure that they meet the norms for their age and gender. Um, but two, part of what I specialize in is the LSVT big program. Um, well, tell
0: us about that. What is that?
1: And so that was actually created for, initiated for speech. So the LSVT stands for the Lee Silverman Voice Treatment and its objectives for speech was to improve speech and voice recalibration, so that a patient can identify the sounds. Um, first of all, most commonly, one of the symptoms to Parkinson's can be a lower sounding voice, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's not recognized for them. With the voice treatments, they can identify what their sound should be like and effectively uh, initiate that, and so. With the big program from the LSVT program, its objective is to emphasize large coordinated or large amplitude movements to help with maintaining functional mobility. So just like I was mentioning earlier, most of the time in my observation, I see a decreased arm swing. Mm -hmm. Well, did the patient actually know that they have a decreased arm swing? Okay, maybe they didn't. Now, let's work on everything that would encourage a large arm swing. Um, Make sure that they swing that arm right out of the gate of walking. Okay, it's included. Um, All right, look down. Is it still moving with you? Um, We do a lot of mirrors to like use to facilitate visual cues. Um, I'll use some other tactile cues to also facilitate it as well. And sometimes, too, just getting, um, you know, like a video of the patient walking Mm -hmm. before at the initial eval to the halfway point to the end. That serves as like a thousand words for a patient to just have that visual cue to say, oh, my gosh, I've I've not been swinging my arm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess to get back to your question, You know, sometimes I will see patients right when they're initially diagnosed, they'll tell me that they're diagnosed, you know, within a month of, of coming to see me. And I think that's one of the best times because we can start a good program that they can independently continue on as, or if they do show signs of progression. Um, But most of the time, like between that stage two to stage three, um, I think that's a crucial point too, because I can't say that I'm going to cure Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. but I can offer a lot of exercises and techniques to help reduce the stiffness or facilitate that coordinated pattern and help with strengthening. Mm -hmm. So it reduces the risks of falls, the Mm -hmm. secondary effects that are caused from Parkinson's.
0: One thing I'm wondering is, um, like the name implies big, you mentioned, okay, with my observation, I noticed that they're not swinging their arm. With the name Big Program, are you looking at these exaggerated movements more so than what you would typically see so that you can stimulate that dopamine response? Is that what you're looking to do?
1: I could agree with that statement. Uh, With the large amplitude movements or the big movements, you are performing uh, a packet of exercises that facilitate exaggerated movements that Mm -hmm. would coordinate to walking, to getting up from a chair, to reaching for objects. So it's
0: very functional in nature.
1: It's very functional. And I try really hard to have a patient do something and then I'll say, oh, that's just like how you reach to grab something out of the refrigerator. Or oh, do you see how you twist it like that? That's just like the trunk rotation that you would need when you're walking. Mm -hmm. So I always try and say, okay, this is the exercise and this is how it impacts either the test I did or the functional activity that you would be naturally doing. Um, Because I think it's important to, you know, practice how you would play or to emphasize like a good carryover so that the patient identifies hey yeah you're right I do usually reach up into the fridge to get that gallon of milk or carton of milk and this is how I do it
0: dude I love that because there's a lot of specificity there and the muscles that are wired together they fire together Mm -hmm. so it makes sense to like you said be specific or train the way you play Right. right um gosh, there was something else I was going to ask you and I can't recall what it is. Oh, I know what it is now. Um, you said that you would introduce a packet. So it sounds like this is incredibly well researched and designed.
1: It is very well designed. Uh, I really do think that the LSBT program has a lot to offer. The packet takes about 15 to 20 minutes um, to go through independently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, Um, then the patient is responsible for doing it again on their own. So let me just kind of back up to tell you that when I see patients, I am really fortunate I get to work with them for an hour. We both get to work with our patients for an hour. Mm -hmm. In the hour, uh, what I do at the initial eval is I ask them, first of all, um, how long they've been diagnosed. What are their medications that they're currently taking? Mm-hmm. Because if I can, I like to schedule treatments when their medication is you know, firing at its best. So we get the best results when you're here.
0: When they're peaking.
1: Right, and then I ask them about functional tasks. So those are things that are challenging for them functionally, getting out of bed, getting up from the chair, a toilet, uh, putting on a seatbelt, getting dressed, tying their shoes. And then I grade that on a scale of what's the challenge, somewhat to extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I do an assessment to see what their balance scores are like, if they're reaching all of their scores for their age. And then after that, I review the assessment with them, and I'll, you know, decide whether they would benefit from coming to therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, The program is four times a week for four weeks. So it's a month commitment um, with myself or someone else that's certified in the LSVT program. And then when we work hourly, that includes the going over the LSVT packet. And then we work specifically on the functional tasks. So, The program is individualized to the patient. And this is where it's nice that I don't have a cookie cutter program. I have to individualize for that patient in the hour after the eval.
0: So it's really program intensive on the front end for you. Right. Well, I guess what I would say, I guess after the initial eval, there's a lot that goes into this. Exactly. And you said it's four weeks long.
1: Exactly. And they're
0: to do their exercises daily, 20 minutes at a time.
1: Yeah. And so after they do the exercises for 20 minutes, they also have to work on their functional tasks Mm -hmm. that we added after each visit Mm -hmm. and a walking program. And the walking program is 15 minutes. And that's where you work on the coordinated patterns of walking. Um, And so by the time they're done, it takes about 40 minutes Mm -hmm. to do the whole program. Um, And they're responsible to do it two times a day. So if they come to see me, that's one of two times. I see. And then they'll be responsible for the second one on their own.
0: The walking program itself, is it on level terrain? Is it for so many feet? Is it a distance thing? Is it a timed thing? Um, Are there higher level walking activities in that walking program?
1: I really try and mix up my walking program. So this is where you start to peel back their coordinated patterns. If, for example, a patient came into the clinic and they had the decreased arm swing on the right, I would say, okay, you know, maybe you should initiate your step with the left foot so that your right arm is engaged first. Mm -hmm. And then that way, right out the gate, your right arm is swinging. And then work on carryover. Can it continuously happen? Now, I do like to throw in a lot of other activities because I personally get bored with walking. So I have them bounce a ball or knock a balloon around or anything that's gonna disrupt their pattern of thinking to say, okay, I have to really focus on this and somewhat distract them and help re-educate them that way.
0: So you'll add a dual task at the same time?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, walking and bouncing a stability ball, knocking a balloon, walking forward, walking backwards, skipping, modified skipping. Um, and then once I feel confident and they're walking on level terrain, then I take them outside and we do different, like, you know, steps, inclines, declines. Um, I, I'm pretty good at setting up obstacle courses, too, for them in the clinic as well to go over.
0: Speaking of which, I think it was, um, what's today? Today is Tuesday. It may have been yesterday, or maybe it was late last week. I can't recall. But I saw that you brought out the agility ladder. Mm-hmm. And you are using that with someone that's living with Parkinson's disease. And I was like, wow, that's amazing because you're pushing the boundaries. You're doing things that this guy used to do, wants to do. And it was empowering for him that I could see from afar that he could still jump, that he could still skip. It was uh, a little emotional for me, to be quite honest. I got a little teary eyed, but, uh. It was amazing to see that he was regaining something that he once, well, at least what he thought hey, he had lost.
1: Yeah, I think that's where the individualized program is so important because, you know, like to speak to him, he was a bodybuilder. He was very... Has
0: he posed for you yet? Did no. He... I, I know you've been talking about that. <laughs> I like, I want to see that your routine, buddy.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's very uplifting to just see that joy for patients to to do those types of things, or the comment that I always hear is, I haven't skipped since grade school. Okay, well, we're gonna do it today. You know, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I'm gonna knock a balloon around. I haven't done that since I was little. All right, well, let's do it today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's just getting back to foundational pieces for patients, which uh, is really exciting.
0: That's cool. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So you've talked a little bit about the LSVT. You've talked a little bit about loud. What else is out there available to them after they graduate their four-week class here with you and they've been discharged? What else is available to them, but not just them, but their spouses or significant others? Is there anything?
1: Well, you know, I think one of the best things if there was a patient with maybe just a neurological condition, or specifically specifically Parkinson's, is to really find a community to reach out to. Uh, You know, I think, I love to be considered community where I'm at here because I have resources like our speech therapist or the clients that still come to see her or the clients that still here are in the clinic that come to see me for a maintenance program. You know, there are other options, too, that I think offer great community, things like the Rocksteady Boxing. That's a great organization Mm -hmm. that I think offers a uh, little bit more higher level of um, you know activity or resources for patients. I also think too um, some additional resources that patients can take. Uh, advantage of are things like Parkinson's.org, um, a book of really great resources, Davis Finney Foundation. You can contact that website for a free book that's uh, very user-friendly to both the patient and to um, the caregiver.
0: Maria, can you just tell me the name of that person again? What's the author's name?
1: Davis Finney and, Foundation.
0: And how do you spell his last name?
1: P-H-I-N-N-E-Y.
0: Oh, okay. And what's the name of the book?
1: It's Davis Finney. Uh, it, that would probably be the best resource to look when you go onto the website. Okay. The book itself, uh, it'll just be a resource for, like, the caregiver. Mm. The book is free okay. on the website. Even better. Yeah. And you just sign up for that, and I received newsletters, uh, which I also think is a really good handout as well, just to know what's out there for... Um, Uh, research projects or current studies that are out there Um, and then it just gives a good conversation piece for both you and the client of maybe things that you haven't the neurologist hasn't brought up that you would want to talk about. Um, I went to one of the Parkinson's.org group community events here in, in Albuquerque and one of the things that I found interesting was that they have an inhaler Um, the inhaler offers that quick dopamine release um, for patients that are in between medication Mm. like um, uh, taking of their medication and, and that's something that I brought up to patients, too, that I've seen and they didn't know about. So just having, like, resources in your back pocket is really important. Another really good research that here in Albuquerque um, I talked to is the mind and gut relationship and how it impacts Parkinson's. Mm. That's be. That has probably been the most common conversation that I have with most most of my patients is, you know, constipation. Are um, you pooping? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, what that impact is on your symptoms. You know, unfortunately, there are different forms of medication that causes constipation, but finding out how it exacerbates some of your symptoms your parkinsonian symptoms has been interesting um and i find that to be most of my um quick subjective questions how are you doing today any falls how do you feel after the last time are you constipated mm-hmm. um seem to kind of all roll in together in the same subjective question. they must feel
0: that you have a crystal ball as soon as you say <laughs> hey are you regular
1: yeah i i, I don't Cause know. most it,
0: people won't even appreciate that and i think you know, with us being what we are, physical therapists, mm-hmm. we realize that it's not just skeletal muscle, there's cardiac, but there's also smooth muscle, and smooth muscle is what's responsible for the peristalsis, right, in order to have a bowel movement.
1: Right. And, you know, too, I think, you know, we've talked about this in the past is to be admitted in the hospital with, you know, something like bowel obstruction but also to have these secondary comorbidities like Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. that's a real hard struggle because you're not only trying to manage medically the events that are happening somewhere else in your body, but you might also be taken off your Parkinson's medication, which could really step back in you know, first of all, your functional mobility, but it could also set you up for progression to those next stages mm-hmm. too, which ugh, I would just hate for something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, yeah, again, another good resource, uh, for patients that I think is uh, really helpful.
0: Maria, I'm looking at one of these brochures we have here on the table. You mentioned Rocksteady and I'm looking here at the brochure, uh, and I see a gentleman boxing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about Rocksteady?
1: Well, um, I think it would be great to maybe have the gentleman that does the Rock boxing here in Albuquerque on sometime. He would be a really good resource. He's a great guy. You know, just talking to him, I think they're a very motivated group mm-hmm. to um, start this program. My understanding is they have an assessment um, and it identifies to what assistance they may need. And then they're put into categories of classes. And then from there, you know, working on, you know, strength, balance, force um, as a group and motivating each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think some of that, too, whether rock Rocksteady Boxing started on its own or, you know, the big limelight of what was the boxing um manny pacquiao's trainer freddie roach Mm -hmm. you know i think he really took boxing with parkinson's to a streamline as well like i said whether one started earlier than the other i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. but you know they really he really shed light on his that condition and the impact of his um you know stages and his functional mobility because of it
0: very cool um, one thing that we were talking about before we even had this talk today was the talk of or the availability of a deep brain stimulator. Um, can you talk to that a little bit?
1: Sure. So a deep brain stimulator or I guess like people in the system call it a DBS.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got to know the lingo guys. I to know the
1: acronym for yeah, it because yeah. people may uh, use that term.
0: I was privileged to actually go to one of these rock steady boxing classes. I've gone a couple times and I remember, um, they were throwing acronyms all over the place, one of which was PD. And I was like, wait a second, oh, okay, PD, (laughs) Parkinson's disease. Right. And so, yeah, thank you for bringing up that acronym because they're gonna be flying all over the place in this community.
1: And most of the time to become a candidate for a DBS, um, you would have to have been diagnosed with Parkinson's for five years, Hmm. Um, that's my understanding. And then uh, the patient would have a tremor or sometimes like your documentation terms or physicians may use the term dyskinesia which so there's a tremor there's like a resting tremor that you may have but then there's also dyskinesia which is an involuntary movement of like the face or the arm or the legs a tremor seems to be like resting and continuous and dyskinesia is more of like this quick involuntary event and then it just Subsides. It may come back fast, but it's not as quick moving as a tremor. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, And so usually there's identifiable tremor or dyskinesia. And then um, there's usually like severe motor fluctuations, and that can be a sustained repetitive muscle twisting. Um, That would be pretty extreme. And again, there, that's where we're getting conflicted into just Parkinson's and maybe another component of something that else that's neurological.
0: When you say that, when you mention that twisting or the torsional element immediately my mind goes to ballistic movements i don't know if that's in that category because i go to hemiballismus immediately immediately
1: yeah or you know the term dystonia mm-hmm. you know i think that's also like another great term yeah for it okay um but uh, you know with the event when you have a dbs put in the electrodes are implanted into the brain to help with the control and you should have a reduction in those symptoms and again like my understanding for that unit is once you have the electrodes put in then you usually have your follow up with the physician after and then they turn the unit on and it has a receiver. So almost like a remote control outside of the body. Hmm. And then they take it to its lowest setting. So again, you don't want to ramp this thing up so high that your threshold for it is gonna be, um, you'll kind of blow your threshold out Hmm. within a year. You just really want like a slow increments so that um, there's some management to your symptoms without destroying that threshold okay and i've had patients that i've seen them preoperatively for their dbs and what's interesting is when i do their assessment so like for example i have a patient do a timed up and go Mm -hmm. which means they have to stand up from a chair walk around a cone that's 10 feet away, as quick and as safe as possible, and sit back down. Mm -hmm. Well, I do it just as a functional get up and go, but then I also do it with a cup of water, and I do it in their tremoring side, Mm -hmm. and the pre and post assessment to a DBS, doing that test, it's amazing wow! um, because it's really frustrating when the patient is holding that cup of water, which could be a cup of coffee, which could be a spill or a burn. Mm -hmm. And then they do it after they've had that procedure and they're just amazed at walking 10 feet and the score is less than 12 seconds and they had no spills. It's very uplifting to see those results for them.
0: How does one determine whether or not someone can have this deep brain stimulated or DBS? I mean, of course, they're going to be speaking to their neurologist, mm-hmm. but um, do you have any experience in that?
1: Well, I usually wait, uh, you know, to kind of fill out whether the patient's brought it up with mm-hmm. the neurologist. You know, two, if it's true that it's within like five years of their diagnosis, um, then two, then that's a conversation with the patient Mm -hmm. and the physician or the neurologist. But there's sometimes where I see patients like, you know, my gentleman, that's the bodybuilder. He hasn't been diagnosed that long, but I think he would really benefit from it. On the other hand, I also hear patients say, I don't want to do any of that because I'm not that far along in stages. Mm -hmm. And I I can respect that too, because again, you don't want to start something or sometimes patients don't want to start any of the medication until the symptoms really get worse.
0: No, that makes sense.
1: And I think that's a good, um, you know, look because, you know, how does this impact your function is really going to always be the question. Is could you live with the tremoring hand well yeah but is it affecting your function to carry objects to help with something well yes okay well then maybe it's probably beneficial to start something Mm
0: mm-hmm you know so it sounds like um this is progressive in nature it will not stop there is no cure per se
1: unfortunately you know there's a lot out there I think for research whether it's a nose spray the deep brain stimulator medication different forms of medication Um, but there's not gonna at this point i'm not hearing oh tomorrow there's a cure
0: Mm -hmm. so so uh, our role is essentially is to maintain what they have and give them the best quality of life
1: right Mm-hmm. And also, you know, provide them resources, caregivers. I love it when family members come because they can do the exercises with mm-hmm. their spouse or their, you know, other. Um, and two, you know, getting the video, staying committed. I usually tell patients that I'll see them in a year for a maintenance program. Because it's good to measure up and see if they're still reaching their norms. That's where that nice part about you know logging all of those functional scores, because you can see if they've declined or not.
0: Well, Maria, I think we're getting close to the end of this interview. At least for for now, we might have a part two. Maybe we'd have a guest, much like Patrick, right, like the gentleman we were talking about, who's involved with the Rocksteady Boxing here in our local area. Maybe even someone who's living with Parkinson's disease. That might be an option too, mm-hmm. if they're agreeable. But um. What are your parting words? What what take home messages would you want to give to a few different people—one, students that are listening; two, patients that are listening—and then just the average layperson.
1: Well, I think for the student, uh, it's a really good session to sit in and observe, and identify that the, like I've said before, the umbrella of neurology is so big and. you have to individualize each one and you have to have your hands on them and you can't sit there and make them just do leg raises. It has to be functional. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that was the nice part about having our student was she had such a great open mind to help come up with different interventions for Mm -hmm. some of the functional tasks that we're limiting to our patients. I think for the patient out there that has just been diagnosed or the patient that's living with it, um, you know, check back in with with your neurologist and make sure that you have enough resources that you think you deserve. Um, You know, with COVID also, I feel like some of the community groups that offered support for Parkinson's or other conditions were lost and now we're rebuilding. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, here at my location, um, you know, I'd like to build more uh, or offer myself as resources outside of where I'm at for patients to, you know, use me as a resource, whether I help them or give them something that they need, you know, whether a it's lead. like another direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the rest of it?
0: Um, the layperson. The
1: layperson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the layperson, it's just general education because... They may work with someone or someone may come into their office that, you know, you can safely say, oh, I think they do have Parkinson's. Maybe they need a little bit more time. Maybe I won't be able to hear them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you need to just listen or offer support, stand by support for them. Um, Anything like that, just sympathetic to what they need.
0: Wonderful. Well said. Maria, this has been amazing. I'm so glad that you spoke to these points. If anyone is listening and is interested and wants to know more about Parkinson's disease, or let's say you are living with Parkinson's disease, outside of your role here at this particular organization, how can they reach you, Maria? How could you help them? Is there a website? Is there an email address in which they could um, send you an email if they have any questions or need any assistance with what they're living with?
1: Sure. So, my email that I would love to talk to more people or get involved with would be maria.amplify parkinson's with an S at the end at gmail.com.
0: Cool. Repeat it one more time just in case.
1: Maria.amplify parkinson's at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. And this is, again, guys, this is separate from your role, correct? that's right. here at this organization so this is a venture that you're going to explore and help people with that's right maria again this has been amazing thank you for sharing all this information i think this is going to be incredibly valuable um truly this is a treasure and thank you so much for doing what you do it makes a huge impact in their in their lives i can see it every day
1: oh thanks
0: truly and guys thank you for listening to us here at pt soaps and if you have any questions for us regarding what we do in our daily lives as pts you could message us at our Gmail account, which is soaps with an S, therapy at gmail.com. Let me repeat it one last time, ptsopes, therapy at gmail.com. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Thank you. And have a wonderful night. We'll talk at you later. Later. Bye.
1: Medication, different forms of medication, um, but there's not going to, at this point, I'm not hearing, oh, tomorrow there's a cure. Mm-hmm. So
0: so what uh, our role is essentially is to maintain what they have and give them the best quality of life right mm-hmm.
1: and also you know provide them resources caregivers i love it when family members come because they can do the exercises with mm-hmm. their spouse or their you know other um and to you know getting the videos staying committed i usually tell patients that i'll see them in a year for a maintenance program because it's good to measure up and see if they're still reaching their norms. That's where that nice part about, you know, logging all of those functional scores, because you can see if they've declined or not.
0: Well, Maria, I think we're getting close to the end of this interview, at least for for now. We might have a part two, maybe we'd have a guest, much like Patrick, right? like the gentleman we were talking about, who's involved with the Rocksteady Boxing here in our local area. Maybe even someone who's living with Parkinson's disease. That might be an option too, mm-hmm. if they're agreeable. But um. What are your parting words? What, what take-home messages would you want to give to a few different people? One, students that are listening, two, patients that are listening, and then just the average layperson?
1: Well, I think for the student, uh, it's a really good session to sit in and observe and identify that, the, like I've said before, the umbrella of neurology is so big. and. It, you have to individualize each one and you have to have your hands on them and you can't sit there and make them just do leg raises. It has to be functional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the nice part about having our student was she had such a great open mind to help come up with different interventions for mm-hmm. some of the functional tasks that we're limiting to our patients. I think for the patient out there that has just been diagnosed Or the patient that's living with it, um, you know, check back in with with your neurologist and make sure that you have enough resources that you think you deserve. Um, You know, with COVID also, I feel like some of the community groups that offered support for Parkinson's or other conditions were lost and now we're rebuilding. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, here at my location, um, you know, I'd like to build more. Uh, or offer myself as resources outside of where I'm at for patients to, you know, use me as a resource, whether I help them or give them something that they need, you know, whether it's like another direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the rest of it?
0: Um, The layperson. The
1: layperson.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I think for the layperson, it's just general education because – They may work with someone or someone may come into their office that, you know, you can safely say, oh, I think they do have Parkinson's. Maybe they need a little bit more time. Maybe I won't be able to hear them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you need to just listen or offer support, standby support for them. Um, anything like that, just sympathetic to what they need.
0: Wonderful. Well said. Maria, this has been amazing. I'm so glad that you spoke to these points. If anyone is listening and is interested and wants to know more about Parkinson's disease, or let's say you are living with Parkinson's disease, outside of your role here at this particular organization, how can they reach you, Maria? How could you help them? Is there a website? Is there an email address in which they could um, send you an email if they have any questions or need any assistance with what they're living with?
1: sure so my email that i would love to talk to more people or get involved with would be maria.amplify parkinson's with an s at the end at gmail.com
0: cool repeat it one more time just in case
1: maria.amplify parkinson's at gmail.com
0: awesome and this is again guys this is separate from your role correct that's right. here at this organization <laughs> so this is a venture that you're going to explore and help people with that's right Maria again this has been amazing thank you for sharing all this information I think this is going to be incredibly valuable um truly this is a treasure and thank you so much for doing what you do It makes a huge impact in their in their lives I can see it every day
1: oh thanks
0: truly and guys thank you for listening to us here at PT Soaps and if you have any questions for us regarding what we do in our daily lives as PTs you could message us at our Gmail account, which is soaps with an S therapy at gmail.com. Let me repeat it one last time therapy at gmail.com. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Thank you. And have a wonderful night. We'll talk at you later. Later. Bye.